All right, all right. How many are excited about this series? How many know our God is a supernatural God? And I'm going to be honest, even as we embark on this series called Miracles, you know, I believe, um, you know, as Christians, sometimes we get intimidated when we get into spiritual things. And I'll tell you what, God is not one to back down. And so if a miracle is a miracle, yes, it will be proven. Matter of fact, if you go to everynation.org slash fast, um, that you can follow, uh, the digital copies of what we are going to have here in the physical. Uh, there's also family guides that you can follow through the week. Um, but there's also encouraging short messages from some of our pastors from around the world. The very first one, if you scroll down to the bottom of that webpage, is a... Uh, one of our pastors from Orlando, Pastor Tim Johnson, former football player, uh, NFL football player. He does have a Super Bowl ring, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but anyway, he, uh, he starts us off in one of the first videos. He shares a story about one of the women in his church who was diagnosed with brain cancer. During worship, during a time of singing, she felt something in her head. And she told one of the leaders, the, they uh, pastor called her up. They prayed for her. And she has her brain scans of the tumor steadily shrinking until she was totally healed. So, you know, if it is a miracle, I believe it can be proven. All right? So we're not here to just kind of, you know, you know, rustle up some faith and, and believe for something. I believe we are going to see some miracles uh, even in this house. So I hope that you believe with me. And as we go through... Uh, this book of John chapter 2, it's interesting. We spent a lot of time in John chapter 1 during our Christmas series last month. You know, he, that Jesus is the light. John, that's how he described his Christmas experience, the very first Christmas. You know, what's also interesting is that the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all accounts of people who actually spent time with Jesus. And they wrote about it. And so we're going to have a great time. Uh, but I believe I got a good message for you here in John chapter 2. So before we start, I ask you, of those of you who are married, how many of you remember your wedding day? And you can remember the details, right? Okay, let me ask you this. How many of you, your wedding was perfect, not a single problem, not a single glitch? Anybody else? All right, we got one. We got one. But I... Want to bring some correction. There was a slight glitch. I was supposed to do your wedding. <laughs> and then... <laughs> and then I tested positive for COVID. And then the week of, I was like, guys, man, this is crazy. I mean, I didn't... I felt fine. I just, you know, some people get a little weird when they find out you tested positive and you went outside. Dude, that's not cool, you know. So I was like, you know what, just because I'm a pastor and I'm leading a church, it's probably the best. So I'm calling Pastor Matt, bro, you got to step in last minute. You know, we're trying to exchange notes and, you know, here's, you know, my conversation with them. And they kind of like this scripture and, and Matt went for it. And I wasn't even there for their wedding. And then, uh, but congratulations officially, guys. We haven't, I think as a church, haven't. So congratulations. And let me just... Can I just brag on you guys? Because, guys, I think this is a great example. This is something even Chris and Yessie went through. Um, they were in uh, a, uh, a romantic relationship before you guys got saved. Um, and uh, after getting saved, getting right with God and hearing what the word of God says, based on that, they chose to be obedient and tie the knot and do it right. So I want to honor you guys for doing that. Chris and Yessie, uh, Art and uh, Christine... And then there was, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Robbie and Elaine Helsham. Uh, I don't know if they're here right now, but congratulations to them officially for getting married. <laughs> Matt was also up to bat on that, uh, at that wedding. And as he was doing the wedding, there were two times where I don't know if it was a picture or a plaque or something. You guys remember that? Those of you who were there? It fell and it was like, bam, right as he's doing the the wedding, and so, you know, we laugh, oh, ha, ha, you know, what's going on, puts it back up and goes again, and it happened twice, fell over, you know, loud, and so, you know, just one of those things, you know, weddings, things just happen, so me and my wife, when we got married, we prepared ourselves, we said, we know there's going to be glitches, we know things are going to go wrong, so 
When they do, let's just smile and laugh. We're not going to stress. We are not going to fret. Right out of the gates. By the way, I just want you guys to know that I plan most of our wedding. Vilm can vouch for that. Okay? I got a little Martha Stewart in me, you know. And so um, one of the things that I wanted to do, we had this, you know, we're living in Guam, beautiful island, tropical, tropical plants, beautiful weather. We went to this park. It was wide open, gorgeous park. And, uh, you know, a horse and carriage was pretty expensive. Since I was planning, I said, no, we ain't doing that. So I did the next best thing. I got a convertible Mustang, you know, a pony car. Rather than a horse pulling her in, she was going to come in on a convertible Mustang, drive into the park around the circle. Everybody would see her. The driver would get out, open her door, and she would get out with her dress, you know, float over to me. But the driver, a good friend of mine, I'm going to say his name because he's probably going to listen to this, Noelito, should have checked the roof and learned how to drop the top before he came in. The music was playing and the car didn't come in. And so we're like, where are they? And somebody walks over and tells him, just come in, forget the top. So she comes in. So that didn't work. We had a convertible. The top wasn't down. So she came out. Another thing that happened at our wedding was on the way to our wedding, I, we totally forgot about our toasting glasses. You know, you know when you, you know, pour the sparkly and then you cross arms and you take pictures and you drink crossed arms, right? And so Vilm calls me and she says, we forgot our toasting glasses. Can you stop somewhere and buy some? So, I mean, I'm literally like 30 minutes away from our wedding day, from our wedding moment. I stop into this store, Noritake, and buy these nice kind of crystal glasses, and I run to the wedding. And so we go through the wedding. There was a couple of other glitches. I invited some pastors. I wanted them to pray over us, and they just went forever praying for us. Um, I mean, I want the blessing, but I was like, dude, come on, <laughs> guys. <laughs> I want to kiss my bride, man. Y'all keep, keep praying. And so we get to our reception. The toasting glasses are out. Oh, by the way, we didn't buy cake toppers. So we had a wedding cake, and there's supposed to be a groom and a bride, and there was nothing. <laughs> Another glitch now that I'm thinking about it. But in our wedding pictures, it is ingrained in history. We are toasting. We crossed arms, and we're lifting the glasses for the pictures, and on the bottom of the glass is the price tag. Nice and big. And I thought, you know, God, we love you. You know, this is it. After this day, we're just going to look forward and move forward. And so how many know weddings don't always go the way you want them to? And so we're going to read a story here in the Bible where Jesus performed his first miracle. And it took place at a wedding. Now, the thing about this particular miracle if I were to ask you, of all the miracles Jesus performed, which one would you maybe like to move in or see yourself, you know, perform yourself? You know, some of you might say, you know, oh, you know, healing the sick, right? That's pretty cool. That's like a, a powerful, you know, or some might say, you know, um, you know, raising the dead, right? That's like major, right? Most of you probably wouldn't even come up with this miracle that we're about to read about. So turn to John chapter 2, and we're going to get started. We're going to jump right in, in verse 1 of John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. We're going to read this in its entirety, and then we're going to go back through, and then we'll kind of pick it apart in sections. So, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, uh-oh. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Verse four, read it with me. No, you don't have to say it out loud. Just follow me, is what I meant. But I thought this was interesting. Verse four, woman, woman. I, man, if you're married, I dare you to look at your wife. Kids, if your mom is in the house, I dare you to look at her and call her woman. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet 
come. This is referring to the time where he would kind of reveal who performed any miracles yet. He, he had just started his ministry. He had just called some disciples. They were following him. Nothing major really happened yet. And they get invited to this wedding. So he says, my time hasn't come. My hour hasn't come. So his mother said to the servants, now look at this. She's a little bit confident. She says, there's no wine. He says, woman. And she goes, looks at the servant and says, do whatever he tells you. And she walks off like a boss. So let's continue. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Uh, these were stone jars. These weren't, uh, cer- uh, not ceramic, pottery. These were stone. They, they were pretty set. Um, you can't just grab one and pick it up, okay? So just get, to give you an idea. Um, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons, six stone pots holding 20 to 30 gallons. So that would be, what, 120 to 180 gallons, right? Uh, check my math later. I'm mathematically challenged, so you guys can... I'm not offended if you uh, tell me that I'm wrong. But then he told them, uh, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out, take it out to the master of the banquet, and they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests, guests have had too much to drink. You guys understand the logic in that, right? But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Pray pray with me for just a moment. Lord, we just ask you, as always, send your Holy Spirit to help me to rightly divide this word, help me uh, to to anoint the, the words that I speak. Lord, your word is already anointed by itself. Let me be a help and not a a hindrance or a distraction. But Father, I pray that, Lord, the truths in this miracle that may not seem like much on the surface, I pray that the truths would come out uh, loud and clear, that we can apply them to our lives, Lord, that we can walk out changed. If you agree, say amen. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's go back in time and place ourselves at this wedding so we can understand the, the context of what's going on here. First, obviously, this is a wedding. Now, weddings aren't rare, but they also don't take place all the time. I mean, you know, we had a couple of weddings. We might have one, two, three a year, maybe more, right? And that's in our modern time. And so back then, weddings weren't um, every day. And so, but the thing about weddings back then was they were the party to go to. If there's any party that you would wait for, it's a wedding feast because they do it right. And a wedding feast takes a year in the making because remember, in Jewish culture, there's a betrothal. There's a betrothal of 12 months where the bride and the groom commit to each other. And then in that 12-month period, the groom has a responsibility to prepare everything uh, for how they're going to live. That includes a house. Typically, in Jewish culture, they would build a house attached to the family. You know, some of you like that, some of you don't. I get it. But the, and, and so over this year, they would uh, build the house, but they would also, uh, the groom was, was responsible for everything at the wedding. And so now you can imagine, here's this wedding. The groom has prepared everything. Uh, oh, by the way, at that point, he would go to the uh, bride's house He would knock on the door, and he would tell her, everything is now ready. And then she would proceed with her wedding party uh, to the wedding. Now, I don't know if you're catching some of the tones of this, but whenever you read about a wedding in the Bible, it usually represents the kingdom of God. And so if you read through the New Testament, you'll hear all the time 
about a wedding feast or the great banquet and there was a master and there were servants and there's all symbolism. And it's the same thing here. There's so much overlapping here that we don't have time to, to dig into everything. But I mean, there are several sermons just in the text that we, that we read. But back in those days, life wasn't easy. Everybody grew their food. Everybody made their own goods and made their furniture. Or if they didn't, they would take whatever they had and whatever was left over, they would, they would trade it or they would sell it or they would share it. But that was life. And so life was hard. They worked hard. And so anytime there was a party, they let loose. And the thing that's different about our weddings and the weddings back then, a Jewish wedding, was theirs lasted for several days. It was, it was a party, nonstop. I mean, sometimes up to a week. And so imagine the preparation that goes in to this moment right here that we're reading about. And imagine the pressure on the families of the wedding when they find out that the wine had run out. The wine ran dry. Can you imagine? Now there's a chance for the families to be humiliated, it would also communicate that the groom was not ready to have a family or a wife. He couldn't even prepare for, for a wedding. And so now you imagine all the pressure that goes on here. So he's providing for his family, providing a, a place to live. Um, he grabs the, his bride and brings her. Okay, now here's the problem that we've already identified. The wine was gone. And so this uh, took place in Cana. It wasn't a big city. It was a small village. And this village would have been maybe 40 to 50 people. But here's the thing. You would have been born in this village. You would have grew up, done life in this village, and you would have died in this village. Everybody knew each other. Small wedding, but big in its, in its meaning. And so there were no dignitaries. There were no politicians. There were, it wasn't in a big city. Hollywood wasn't there. The NFL greats, the NBA stars, the athletes weren't there. It was just the village. Now, as always, my mind goes to so many different places when I read stuff like this. So it's Jesus' first miracle. And let's be honest. This one was kind of cool, right? Turning water into wine, that's, that's a neat trick. But it doesn't really blow you away, does it? It doesn't really like, like floor you. It's not like the leper who got healed the leper, or, the, or the paralytic who had been uh, paralyzed uh, since he was a boy. And then Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. And all of a sudden he's walking. Everybody's going, because <gasps> they knew that paralytic. So it's a little bit different. So then... If this miracle doesn't floor you, what is the purpose? What is the, uh, what is the meaning of this miracle? What does this miracle reveal? First, it reveals that Jesus desi uh, desires to participate in all the events of your life. Remember, Hollywood wasn't there. The celebrities weren't there. Chris and Yessie Perot weren't there. Eric and Mark and Nepomuceno weren't there. Pastor Roro wasn't there. No, I'm kidding. It was just your, just your average wedding. But yet, Jesus was happy to be there. Now, scholars will tell you that Jesus' mother, uh, they say because they were from Nazareth, which was probably uh, several miles away. And they will tell you that Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, was probably related to one of the, one of the uh, families being wed. And so that's why the Bible says she was there. She was probably helping to prepare. But it says very distinctly that Jesus was, Jesus and the disciples were invited. So it wouldn't have been offensive or a thing if Jesus didn't show up. But Jesus was invited. Jesus was invited. Some of y'all aren't hearing me. Jesus was invited. 
he was invited to this wedding. Even though it wasn't star-studded. It was just a little village wedding, but he was invited and he came. Turn to your neighbor and say, is Jesus invited? Turn to somebody. I know I like to make few people feel uncomfortable. You know, like I don't know anybody here, you know. But, you know, is Jesus invited? But that's the question. It's perpetual. Is Jesus invited? And is he invited to every part of your life? Because if Jesus was invited to every part of your life, it would change some of the things that we say. It would change some of the things that we do. It would change some of the places that we go. If Jesus was invited in every part of our life. Now, I'm telling you, I'm feeling a little bit bold because I just came from a conference where they were bold. But men, if Jesus was invited in every part of your life, there would be no gentlemen's clubs. Women, there would be no thunder from down under or magic mic shows. And then let me just address something really quick because you guys know that I love you and I, as your pastor, am responsible to tell you because I don't know who else will. And the fact that I'm willing to tell you this just means that I love you. You believe that? And that's this. First of all, honestly, between us, I can't find a single scripture in the Bible that says alcohol in particular is wrong. Okay? Now, I'm going to double back on this because this is all going to overlap. And so, this doesn't mean that Jesus is condoning alcohol or drinking with me so far. There is one area that the Bible is very clear. When it comes to alcohol, drunkenness is wrong. Clear? Okay, the Bible talks about being given to wine. That's, that means there's a dependency. Like if you just got to have it. If there's a certain time of the day and you're like, oh, it's time, and you're just not the same without it at that time, that's being given. Does that make sense? In itself, alcohol is not wrong. It's not. I, and I, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that it is. But I can tell you the areas that are. Okay, And you're, feel free to come talk to me about it. If, if you don't think I'm, I'm on the right track, I, I'm, I'm, wel I'm welcome, welcoming you to... To, to talk, I'm, I'm willing to hear. But uh, anyway, love you. But this wedding was a big deal. Besides Jesus, he was the only real celebrity, but they didn't know him yet. And being from Cana, not being from Cana, Nazareth, he was, again, happy to take time out of his schedule. To be there. I'll tell you this. Anybody who steps into ministry, it is a busy, busy job. You know, a lot of jobs. I know some, of, some people get, you know, they're on call. You know, we have some doctors in the house, and sometimes you're on call for two weeks. But every once in a while, you get a break. You know, ministry, you know, we don't get to tie it up. 24 hours a day, if something major were to happen, I'm just letting you know I'll be there. That's, that's my calling. That's what, that's what God is, is calling me and requiring me. To do if I am here and you need me, I will be there. Okay, whatever that means. Okay, so everybody say, Oh, <laughs> so let's jump over to Revelation 320. It says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me, we're still talking about inviting him. You know what's funny? This verse here, a lot of times you'll hear a pastor get up and at the end of a service, every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, Jesus says that, you know, if you would invite him in, he'll come into your heart and he'll eat with you and you can eat with him. And, you know, and it's like a, it's like a salvation verse, you know, in a moment like that. But did you know this verse here was written to Christians? Jesus is telling Christians, people who are supposed to know him, if you will open up, I'm knocking. If you will open, how many know sometimes we just, sometimes we stray. Sometimes we don't realize, oh man, God, I'm sorry, I got off track. And that's what this verse is about. And just like this wedding, when, Joseph, when Jesus shows up, amazing things happen. 
if you will invite him in. We're talking about miracles, and we're going to talk about why this miracle happened and how. And I think it's going to be interesting for you. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's vice versa. Sometimes Jesus is knocking, and he says, man, if you ever knock on my door, I'll be there. And this doesn't mean that you can pray for anything you want. You know, there's scriptures that say, you know, oh, ask anything in my name. And, you know, we pray in Jesus' name, right? You know what that means? And, Lord, I just pray for the Lamborghini in Jesus' name. You know what that means? Jesus' name means uh, we need his approval. Make sense? So just because you say in Jesus' name doesn't mean you're going to get it. In other words, it says, in Jesus' name I pray, that request goes to his desk. And the Bible says, if you pray according to my will, you can ask anything. And so he'll go, uh, no, not according to my will. But there are some people who could ask that, I believe, and God would give that to them. So here's the next point. Not only does he desire to participate in your life, he also makes his miraculous power accessible for the troubles and problems in your life that you and I experience. And here's where we're going to spend majority of our time because I think this is where most of us are in life. Look again at verses 3 through 7. And here's where the problem begins. When the wine was gone, say when the wine was gone. It's all fun and games till the wine is gone. Let me say this. We read the whole text. I want you to notice something. Even after I said all that I've said, Jesus was not a party pooper. When Jesus came to this party, he came gladly. Jesus didn't show up and try to turn it into a Bible study. Jesus didn't show up to this party and try to turn it into a prayer meeting. Jesus showed up because you know what? He wanted to have a good time just like anybody else. And he wasn't the kind to go find somebody who was having a good time and try to make them stop. It's not him. His friends were there. His family was there. Those were his peeps. And he wanted to be there with them. Now, there's something called a religious spirit. A religious spirit will find something that looks good, tastes good, is fun, and call it sin. That's the devil. That's the, de that's the devil. Uh -uh. And that's not always the case. The problem is that religious spirit can get on even those who are well-intentioned and love Jesus. That religious spirit can get on God's people too. And some of the worst offenders when it comes to a religious spirit are Christians. He's not a worship leader. He's an entertainer because he has tattoos and earrings. He's not a worship leader. Anybody hear me? If somebody walks in and they just don't look right to you, it doesn't mean their heart isn't. And so Jesus walks into this party happily with his disciples. Come on, party's over here. And he goes, and I believe he was there to have fun and to have a good time. So this party, remember, it's a year in the making. It was supposed to be the most memorable moment of the year. It was supposed to be the funnest time of the year. And when the wine ran out, Jesus didn't want the party to stop. You all following me? Matter of fact, because of what Jesus did, the party got funner. Is that a word? What is funner? It's more than fun. It's gooder than fun. And again, whenever the Bible mentions a wedding feast, it's a picture of heaven. 
This was a wedding feast. It was a picture of heaven. How many know in heaven there's going to be nonstop joy? Don't be surprised if we see glimpses of heaven throughout our life here on this earth. And if y'all don't like to have fun, I do. I'll show up. He wants you to experience joy. But the wine ran dry. I'm supposed to finish. Okay, let's go to verse, where are we? Verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And then he said, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, because a lot of us were good Catholics growing up, I was a very good Catholic because my mother made me. The fact that Jesus wasn't being disrespectful here. It's not like she was saying, the wine ran out. What girl, yo, hey, what? It wasn't that. But what he was saying was, mom, there is a change of authority here. And as he began his ministry, he said, I am now taking my cues from him. And so when she said the wine ran out, was, you know, she didn't go, you know, uh, uh, Jesus, he didn't go, uh, yes, Mary, mother of God, <laughs> all right, blessed art thou among women, and blessed are, are the fruit of thy womb. He didn't, he didn't do all of that. And matter of fact, there's nowhere, you know why, you know why Mary was blessed? Because she was able to partake in a miracle called Jesus' birth. That's why she was blessed. It had nothing to do with, with her. She wasn't special, you know, so much in a way. You know, I mean, she walked upright with God, but a lot of us here do. And so it wasn't like God was like, oh, she's the only one on the earth, man. Let's use her. It wasn't that. God chose her, allowed her to experience this miracle. And then he said, you are blessed that you got to experience that. You are blessed that you got to carry the son of God. And I believe God was saying, thank you for being obedient but you know who was equally blessed? Joseph. He was a godly man. And he was going to divorce her quietly because he still wasn't quite sure about everything. But you know what? They were obedient. Anyway, let me get back on track. So, uh, brothers and sisters, this gets more interesting because remember, he says to the mother tells them, do whatever Jesus tells you. And then he tells them, if you go to verse 6, uh, there were six nearby stones, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. And then he says, remember, 120 to 180 gallons. And he tells the servants, go get water and fill them up. How many of you still fill up a five-gallon water jug and bring it to your house for your drinking water? Anybody here? Okay, anybody? anybody? Okay, that's heavy, isn't it? That's heavy from Nelson, isn't it? Oh, you, where's Nelson at? Okay, that might, that might, honor. we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> but I remember doing that. We used to live in an apartment when we first got here on the second floor. And you know, parking spaces are never close to your apartment. And so there would be these two five-gallon water jugs. My boys were still small when I got here, and I hated going to get that water. And that was a plastic jug. Imagine a ceramic pot. These servants are probably going. And all this was incognito. The party had no idea this was happening. And so they go and they get the water and they fill them up. They fill them up. And you know what? Let me just backtrack a little bit. You know, as Mary told the servants, do whatever he tells you. That should be the theme of our life. Do whatever he tells us. Because you know, if you want the blessing of God and you want the favor of God, how many know it helps when you do what he says? And most of us will complain. Man, Jesus, I, you know, I, why isn't it like this? Why don't I have this? Uh, well, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I could answer that question in my life easy. Oh, man, I'm always saying, Jesus, sorry, Jesus, sorry, Jesus, sorry. God, I'm sorry. Help me. Do whatever 
He tells you in big things and little things. If you want to see miracles in your lifetime, do whatever he tells you. Verse 6, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them, they filled them to the brim. Okay, these, this, this story is just full of nuggets. I hope these help you. Now remember, there were no water hoses back then. So I can imagine when Jesus said, go get water and fill them up, I can imagine the servants going. Do you feel that power? I can imagine them going. Okay. Right? And sometimes we get like that when God says to do something and we're going, and we become like kids. Do your kids, when you ever tell them to do something, but why? Do this. How come? And we ask God, when? And we ask God, but how? And we're, his, we're the servants, right? But here's my question. The God who turns water into wine, if he had that power, couldn't he also instantly put water in the pots? <laughs> right? If he's all powerful, why didn't he just say, when she said, there's no more wine. Oh, yes, there is. Go check. <laughs> right? Da, 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 da. Jesus is, uh, Right? It didn't happen that way. If you notice, most miracles that take place require human participation. Here's why I think God wants us to sometimes do what he says. And it's because I think he's delighted when we participate in what he does. You know, on two occasions, I got a flat tire uh, my sons were with me on separate times. So the first time Zachary was in high school, I think he was like in maybe 10th grade, I picked him up from school. We were on the freeway. Uh, and as we were, my tire gauge light come on. And so I'm thinking, uh-oh. And as I'm on the freeway, I start looking at my tire pressure, and it is steadily dropping. So I take the next exit. I get off, and there was something in my tire. It was flat. So I told my son, Zach, get out. And he said, why? Took his earphones out. Why? And I said, you're going to change this tire. I'm going to tell you everything to do. And you're going to do it yourself. And he said, okay. He got out. We got the tire. We undid the thing. It dropped. He jacked it up. He did the lugs, the lug nuts. Got it off. He pulled the tire off. He put the new tire on. Tightened it back up, dropped the truck. We got in the car and we started driving on the spear. You know what he said? Well, let me hold what he said because it ties into the next one. There was another time, maybe a year and a half later, it was me and Zion in the car. Same thing happened. The tire got flat. I pulled over. I said, Zion, get out. Why? Because you're going to change the tire. Did the same thing with him. Lifted the truck, took the tire off, tightened it back up, dropped it. You know what both of them said? On different occasions, we were driving away, and they were like, I can't believe I changed the tire. I feel like a man. I don't know if they remember that. But that's what I'm talking about. That's what God wants from us. When he does something great, he wants us to be involved so that we go, man. Did you, God, you are the man. He wants us to get involved so that he can say, we did it. We did it. I believe Jesus loves us being involved. So what's really happening at the wedding? There's these servants, they're anonymous. Jesus chose to use anonymous Servants. Nothing in the Bible tells us about them. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they came from. We don't even know their names. 
And Jesus is going, I'm about to do something great. What's your name? Come on. We're going to use you. And they went and they got the water and they are forever in history. The very first miracle that Jesus did, they were a part of. And God wants us to experience that also. And here's the thing, they didn't complain. Not that I can tell. Because it says they got the water and they filled it to the brim. What if they only filled it halfway? You know what would have happened if they filled it halfway? The, the miracle would have only been half effective. But they filled it to the brim. Filled it to the brim with water, which was to the brim wine. And it wasn't just any wine. It was the best. When God gives, when God provides, it's the best. Amen? I want you to believe that. What if they were only half full? It would have only been half effective. I don't know about you, but I want my miracle to be full. I don't want it to be half. They were diligent. And Jesus is saying, you do what you can do. If you do what you can do, I'll do what no man can do. Verse 8. Think about this. This wedding should have been a catastrophe. The wine would have ran out. The, the family would have been, you know, um, humiliated. And you know they find ancient records of people going to court over stuff like this because they promised to provide for a wedding and then they didn't. There are ancient lawsuits. This should have been a social wreck. This should have been a financial wreck. And Jesus turned it into a victory. God cares enough to get involved. He cares enough to do something. Here's another thing. Sometimes we are scared to ask for uh, you know, for something too big from God. You know, God, I got that uh, hospital bill, man. It's, it's pretty big. I don't know, but, you know, I wasn't really good this week. I'm not going to ask. I think we're all guilty of that sometimes. But, you know, I also think that we're guilty of afraid, being afraid to ask God for too little. You know, it's a problem to us, and, you know, we're like, oh, Jesus is not even going to mess with that. It's just, you know, and it's like, no, he cares. He cares. And if you'll invite him, and if you'll ask him, I believe he'll show up. Big or small, he'll show up. Doesn't matter how big your problem is. Doesn't matter how small your problem is. Why? Because he cares. And because he cares for you. And because he has a relationship. It was his mom. He said, woman. And she was like, That was still mom. And I believe Mary had something to do with stirring Jesus up. He told her, it's not my hour. And she was like, do what he says. And I believe because he loved her. He probably said, you know what? All right. And this miracle takes place. John 16, says this. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. We love the promises of God. We love all the good stuff. Here's a promise. In this life, you will have tribulation. Jesus said, I promise that. But take heart. I've overcome the world. In other words, he's saying, you know what? I won't stop everything from happening to you. But whatever does happen to you, I will walk with you straight through it. You will have me. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He cares for you. If there's something that is weighing you down and making you anxious or making you worry, Mary was a, uh, she was a worried mama. It was her family on the line. And Jesus loved her. He did something about it. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but this is the God that I know. Here's our final point. Jesus uses miraculous moments in our lives to reveal God's glory. And here is the secret message in all of this text that we've read, that we've, this, this miracle that we've talked about. If we just focus on the miracle, we'll see water turning into wine and we'll miss this, 
this message, but if, if you go to the last verse of our text, verse 11, it says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs, the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. It was a sign which he did and the disciples believed in him. Why did they believe? Because Jesus just revealed who he really was and the disciples saw it and I'm sure after that day they were going, I don't know about you but I'm following this guy. He is who he says he is. I was reading one commentary that said the water in the jars represents us, represents our life. And so the water is just normal. They pour the water into the jugs, just water. And you know, that's us without Jesus. We're just ordinary, regular, to be honest, filthy, dishonest people. But when Jesus shows up, when Jesus is invited and he shows up, amazing things happen. Miracles happen. And here's the real miracle in the changing of the water to the wine. If, if the water represented us, then the wine represents Jesus' blood that cleanses us and saves us and gives us everything, that the power that we need to live life the way he asks us to. That's the miracle. That miracle is called transformation. God comes into our life and he, he gives us the ability to change and we, we transform. Pastor Matt got up here and he you know, encouraged us with uh, 2 Corinthians 5. He said, you know, if anyone is in Christ, he's a brand new creature, brand new, not borrowed pieces from something else to put you together to be something. He said, you are totally new. In my eyes, I've wiped away all that junk that you might have been involved in or the things that might have drug you down. He said, that's all. In, look, as far as I'm concerned, I don't even see that anymore. It's called transformation. It represents conversion. When we receive Jesus, he said the old is past and the new has come. You know what reveals God's glory more than anything? When you go back to an old friend, maybe a high school friend, and they knew how you were before, and then you show up and they go, what? What happened to you? I went back to Florida. You know what my friend said? I heard you a preacher now. Like, uh, yeah. What? And guess what I did? I preached. <laughs> in a very nice and friendly way. And I found out a lot of my friends are very open because they got nothing else. A lot of them are just the same condition as when I left high school. How many know Jesus offers more? Jesus offers better. Bow your heads with me, we're gonna pray. Thank you, God. Lord, thank you. Lord, for your miracles, and Lord, the start of this one, Lord, the main purpose and reason for miracles is that you will be glorified, that your glory will be revealed. Now, we just get to benefit from it. The blessing is a byproduct. It's not even the main thing, but Lord, you care enough to, to step into our space. You care enough to step into our lives. And Lord, we'll get the blessing. We'll receive the miracle. But Lord, you always get the glory and let us not forget that. If you're here today, I'll make this quick because coming up on time. And you haven't experienced that transforming power of what Jesus did for us. He died for us. The Bible says his body was broken 
and he spilled his blood for us. And through that and through only that can we find salvation. If that's you, with every eye closed and every head bowed, and you want to make a decision today, say, you know what, I, I, I have not experienced that. If that's you, would you raise your hand and we're going to all pray together. Is that anybody? Okay, let's move on. If there's anybody here and you do know Christ, but there's some areas in your life where you're saying, I still need to experience that transformation. This is the safest place you can be in a moment like this because Jesus wants to show up and you can invite him today. One of the preachers and one of the speakers in our conference the other day, he said, you know, for some of you, this moment right here is going to be about conversion. And for others, it's going to be about transformation. For some of you, it's about salvation. For some of you, it's about transformation. And he went on to say, you know, students, you're here mom's not here, your dad's not here. It's time for your faith to grow up. You can't live off your mom's prayer, your dad's prayer, or you can't live off their faith anymore. It's time to grow up. If you're here and you know Jesus, but you have, you're still looking for that, and look, we're all in different places in our life, including myself. But if you're here and you say, man, there's still some areas. Jesus, I need you. I need that transforming power. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Great. All right, we're in good company. Anybody else? I just want to know who I'm praying for. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Let's all stand up. And let's all pray this together. Say, Jesus, thank you that you care for me. Thank you that you were obedient for me. And thank you that your power your transforming power is available to me. I ask you to give me the grace to follow you. And as I do, you'll help me. And you'll, you'll fix me. And where I'm weak, you'll make me strong. And where I'm poor, you'll make me rich. And where I feel like I like I'm inadequate and I don't qualify because of your blood I'm qualified and I'm accepted help me to be bold in you help me to be bold in knowing that I know you now Father I just pray your transforming power that would be the miracle today. I pray for those who might be addicted to something. That, Lord, they'd find breakthrough. Lord, I pray for those who might be struggling with the illness or a sickness. That they would find breakthrough. Lord, for those who might be in a, a state of mental health that they, that they can't stand and they feel trapped or they feel closed or they feel alone or they feel like something's going to happen. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that today would be their breakthrough. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim this over your people, oh God. As they get to know you and as they pursue you and as they follow you, Lord, I thank you. Change is coming. Lord, that, that, that miracle is coming. It's right around the corner. We could be next. Lord, help us to invite you into our lives. And Lord, when you do the miracle, help us not forget that you are to be glorified. Thank you for the miracle. That's all good. But Lord, may your name be glorified. May you be glorified in our lives. Amen.